Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Hello, everyone. Um, Welcome to week four of our series, Praise God, It's a Girl. The subtitle of this week's um, teaching is Living Beyond the Hashtag. There really is no revolution that can exist from the comfort of our cultures and scrolling through the newsfeed. As good as it is to engage in conversations that happen, as good as it is to immerse ourselves and to learn differently from the environment and the spaces, but there's something different about actively engaging. It's not enough that we double tap. It's not enough that we hashtag when something goes wrong and we, we seem to live in between these peaks of moments when it comes to gender-based violence. We seem to live in between the big moments that get spoken about, but nothing, very little happens in the in-between. And the invitation of this particular week is about going. We need to go. We need to do. We need to exist. We need to be in the discomfort of this conversation, this discomfort of this experience. So personally, I struggled in preparation for for the sermon. Um, I really struggled. My biggest groaning was, I can't even believe that we need to have such a conversation. The fact that we live in a world where this kind of series, a four-week series is needed, is so hurtful. To my spirit, but in engaging the Holy Spirit, I, I, I decided, I actually realized that I have my own um, issues and, and, and tensions when it comes to this issue and to a certain level, a level of anger and bitterness as well. So what I decided to do after having read um, uh, Becoming Men um, by, by Dr. Langa, which um, Simon mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, I decided to actually let me have conversations with guys in in my own life, um, friends, um, saved and unsaved around this particular topic. So I spoke to 12 um, guys around this topic and I asked them the simple question. The question was, what are the tensions that men hold when it comes to masculinity? in 2020. And the kind of responses that I got, they shook me, they um, encouraged me, they caused me even more hurt. Um, But what I saw in the summary, the high level summary of what I got about what men who are my age have to say about masculinity is that masculinity is not one thing. Masculinity is fluid. It is constantly needing to adapt because it is so linked to the external. It is so linked to outside validation. Um, It's been so built around receiving validation of, yes, you doing this is you being a man or no, you doing that is you not being a man. So it's this constant management, this constant tension. It is fragile, but at the same time, it is, it is hopeful. And um, as we engage in, 
in this topic, may we be encouraged about who God says we are. This ultimately is about identity, both for men and for women. So the invitation for this moment is, may we allow ourselves to be present to the conversations, to be present to the discomfort, both as men and as women. So I'll put a few disclaimers. Yes, I am a black woman who's coming to tell you about masculinity, right? So some of you might have a little bit of a discomfort with that. Just hold that discomfort. Don't, don't run from it. Um, you don't have to admit it to anybody else, but you can, you can kind of hold that for, for a minute. It's okay um, to have that bit of discomfort. But ultimately, this is the invitation for all of us. It's the invitation for all of us to, to grapple differently, to need to face things that we would normally not necessarily need to face because the mantle is on us, the role is on us the leadership is on us as a church to bring redemption to bring heaven to earth when it comes to the way in which the world exists and how women are treated in the world so let's pray jesus thank you for your goodness thank you that you are not overwhelmed by anything that happens in this world we thank you for your word that will be spoken thank you that you will Move us, you will um, make us uncomfortable. But thank you, Jesus, that you are redeeming. You are doing a greater work. You are doing a generational work and an eternal work. We bless you. We expect of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text we're going to be looking at today is in Luke 10, um, 25 to, to 37 in the NIV. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Who are you in this story? There's a number of characters in the story, and the point that Jesus is trying to make is, who 
actually followed the religious law because the Samaritan was not under the law of Moses because he was not Jewish, right? But, and the law of Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, and love your neighbor. And the question that Jesus is bringing back to the religious leader who's trying to trap Jesus is, who is the one who actually followed the law of Moses? Was it the Jewish people, the priest and the Levite, or was it this Samaritan who Jesus um, actively and intentionally describes as despised? So first there's the priest, right? The priest sees the person lying there and doesn't, even come close. The priest completely walks away, crosses the street, and goes to the other side. Maybe this topic is too far from the comfort of your existence for some of you. The fact that you don't have to think about whether you will be safe or not if you walk down the street. The fact that you live in a nice neighborhood, um, in a safe neighborhood. This issue is not so real for you. So you get to walk on the other side of the road. You get to look past this because the way in which your life is set up means your comfort does not have to confront this in any way. You've never had to confront this. Are you the priest in the story? The Levite comes along and he comes close. So it says he came in to look at this man, but he still decided to cross the road. He saw that it was too much. It was too much work. Is that who you are in the story? That you've seen it, you've, you've kind of gotten a little bit close to it, but you have decided that it requires too much of you. It's too exhausting. It's too, um, it requires more of you than you are willing to give. You have no idea how you would handle it, and therefore you back away. You run off. Then there's the Samaritan, right? who is not Jewish in this case, but he loves someone as his neighbor. And the Samaritan takes on honor. Honor is I see who God says you are and I treat you according to that identity of yours that I get from God. I don't decide for myself who you are. I inquire of the Lord and say, who do you, God, say this person is? And I respond in my approach, in my interaction, in my engaging with you is from that point. The Samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced. When was the last time God inconvenienced you for the sake of love? Are you someone that he is able to even inconvenience? Are you available to be inconvenienced by God? And when I say inconvenienced, I don't mean um, mistreatment in any way, but being inconvenienced in the form of stepping out of our comfort, stepping out of our space and our world, which seems a certain way that gives us rose-colored um, glasses, stepping beyond that to engage in the real world. Are you someone that God can inconvenience? The fourth person, which we actually don't think about quite often in, in the story, is the innkeeper, 
right? I mean, the innkeeper's used to getting all kinds of guests, but getting someone who is hurt, yes, he's now bandaged, but if he were, if this man who had been robbed were left for dead, it means he needs to be looked after. It's not just that these two silver coins are going to um, mean that he doesn't need to be looked after. This is someone who needs to be looked after. So the innkeeper inherits a problem. But he takes it on. He could have said no, but he inherits a problem. For some of you, inheriting a problem might mean um, in terms of your work context. You might encounter people in your work context, people that report to you, um, your bosses who have gone through traumatic moments and you inherit this problem. Will you engage or will you opt out? Love has to compel us to do something. The love of Jesus in us has to transform us. It has to move us. It has to require of us a greater love than ourselves. It has to require a love that is empowered by grace in us. One that moves us from the space of our knowing, from the space of our understanding, from the space of our ability to comprehend to spiritual eyes, spiritual vision. It must draw us from complacency. It must draw us to loving intentionally, to a responsive love, to active neighboring. So in the story, it's the priest and the Levite who look away, right? What role have we played as a church in turning a blind eye to the way in which society treats women? It's the priest and the Levite. It wasn't a tax collector or um, someone else, a doctor, who turned away. It was a priest and the Levite. It was believers who turned their blind eye to this. What is our role? How complicit are we as the global church when it comes to the area of patriarchy and the way in which women have been treated in our society? And what are we willing to engage God about in that? Are you an ally? Someone who's willing to walk alongside, someone who is willing to take on the mantle, someone who is willing to take on the cross. You know, when Jesus was um, being taken up to Calvary, Simon took on the cross just to, just to um, remove the strain from him. Are you one who is willing to take on some of the strain? Men, this is for you. Women, this is for you too, because as women, we feel exhausted. We don't want to engage. We want men to just do the right thing. But this is an invitation for all of us to engage, to opt in. Men, are you willing to be an ally? Are you willing to be willing to be an ally? 
and your openness to being an ally doesn't require you to have answers. It doesn't require you to know exactly what that means, but it requires an openness to receiving from the Holy Spirit a deposit of what that will look like, but know that it is going to cost you something. What are you willing to lose in you becoming an ally? Carol Gosman once said something which has stayed with me over the years. She says, love has to cost you something to give it. Loving in this neighborly way, loving as Jesus is going to cost you something. What are you willing to lose? Because there has to be an exchange. There has to be something given over. There has to be something surrendered in order for the Holy Spirit to bring up something new, to cause something new to come to the surface for redemption to occur. Is it about losing a little bit of the good reputation, the, the, you know, the still and peaceful reputation that you have, that you, you're not one to cause trouble, you're not one to cause um, any friction? Is it about you needing to surrender that, to lose some of that perfect reputation that you have? Is it about you being open to losing some of your power and some of the privilege that you hold as a man. You know, one of the guys that I spoke to said something so powerful um, when, when I'd asked him that question about masculinity. He said, the idea of what a man should be in this world wasn't just a random assortment of characteristics, but it was hand chosen by the devil to destroy society. The version of masculinity that we are seeing in this world today is largely not biblical. We see it. We see that it is not a reflection of a loving and a redeeming Christ, a God who intervened in the world in order for us to be reignited and reconnected with himself, with his love, in his peace, in his covering, in his goodness. What are you willing to lose? What are some of the biases that you hold about women? What are the biases that you hold about men? Because it's the same thing about racism, right? You can still be Christian and have some biases when it comes to race. And even in this area, you may love Jesus. You may be a good person. But there might be some stuff that because of your upbringing, not even intentionally, that you don't see. We're grown and we grow into certain environments that teach us certain things. And in some of our experiences, we have learned things that do not reflect the full glory of Jesus. What narratives have you allowed to shape your views of masculinity and femininity beyond what Jesus says. Women, for you, how much of your views about masculinity are shaped by patriarchy? I had to face that myself when I was engaging with these guys because I had to think, you know, I'm praying about a, a husband um, and I had to find, backtrack and say, shucks, um, I want a, a man who's strong, but not too strong. Soft, but not too soft. 
and the Holy Spirit had to deal with me to say, what, what are you saying? What, is, what, what do you mean by that? Because what you're saying is there's something inherently wrong with just the strength. There's something inherently wrong with just the softness. And I had to sit and say, am I the kind of woman who would be able to hold the softness of a man when it shows up as weakness? Women, a lot of our perceptions of masculinity have been shaped by patriarchy. We have allowed it and they sit inherently, which means, you know, some of these guys were telling me that they've had moments where they show their softness and women have shunned them and asked and told them, why are they weak? Why are they showing? Why are they showing weakness? And as women, we need to take up that mantle. Jesus, how do you redeem your perception and your perspective of masculinity even for us and in us as women so we can carry the men in our lives when their softness does not show up as strength all the time this whole journey is about doing the work doing the work is about moving beyond awareness we're aware we knows we know what's happening we know what has been um existing around us and in moments you know it's big and it's hectic stuff but in other moments we know the narrative of what's happening around us but we have to move beyond awareness we have to do the work there's a a, a quote and a statement in in psychology that says insight is the booby prize of therapy. What does that mean? It means that insight isn't enough. Change has to follow. You know, we have an amazing program here at church called Resolute Men. It's one of my favorite programs and it's really one that helps men to grapple with masculinity and the way that they will show up in the world. One of my hopes out of this journey, out of this now going and doing as this church, as every nation, is that we figure out ways to take that phenomenal program and broaden it to a bigger group of people. Doing the work is about understanding the perspective of Jesus, Jesus about women. You know, a friend of mine, Sarah Bryce, says that Jesus is the first recorded feminist. I love that statement. And if you read the Gospels, you see exactly the ways in which he did that. Um, Carlos Rodriguez, um, a, a preacher from um, the U.S., said something um, on social media a while ago. He said, Jesus protected women, empowered women, honored women publicly, released the voice of women, confided in women, was funded by women, celebrated women by name, learned from women, respected women, and spoke of women as examples to follow. Now it is our turn. What are we doing as men? When we behold him, we will be like him. 1 John 3. Doing the work means becoming like Jesus. And it's interesting, right? Because that's the whole purpose of our lives is to become like Jesus. And it's about becoming like Jesus, the one of the Gospels, right? Not the one who comes from your neighborhood, not the one who grew up in your part of the world, but the Jesus of the Gospels who comes to redeem your neighborhood, who comes to redeem your part of the world. This journey is going to require that we move together and in accountability. My initial view of this whole thing was, you know what? 
men should just go and deal with other men. Men who are further along the journey, go talk to other men. But I quickly realized in talking to some of the guys that I spoke to that that is not like Jesus. Distance from each other is not the answer. It is modeled in the relationship of Jesus with the disciples, what it looks like to walk with each other, to grapple with each other towards transformation. It's about the voice of the impacted women's voices continuing to exist where with men so that we're not living in isolation and missing each other as we do. We need to grow in compassion. It means we need to be willing to engage in dialogue empowered by the Holy Spirit. One of the guys um, said something. He said, men need to hold a level of ignorance to allow themselves to be teachable. Ignorance to allow yourself to be teachable. This requires compassion. And men, in your journey towards allyship, you are going to meet anger. You're going to meet frustration. Listen with your heart. Women, as men join this journey with us, engage the Holy Spirit so that your anger does not distance potential allies, people who want to engage, who want to learn, who want to be involved, and yet we lose them. This whole journey is going to require of us surrender and submission. The current system that has been built on patriarchy, the one that um, tries to define and control the identities of men, you will not cry, do not be weak, and women, this is how you will be, this is how you should act. That system has wounded and broken all of us. Nobody is winning because of patriarchy. We are all wounded, and the schemes of the enemy to control society and to cause the destruction of society is held in the system. What will we do to bring kingdom thinking? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom system of femininity and masculinity that glorifies God? How much work are we willing to do to bring down that system? Because this is a system. It's not just about thoughts and biases. This is an entrenched system. What is the system that we are willing to bring, that we are willing to sacrifice for, that we are willing to surrender and remain in Jesus long enough to hear from him, to get the deposit from him of what it is that he wants to do in this society, in this moment, in this generation, so that our grandchildren do not have to engage in this, redeeming even for eternity. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, even the language that we use, some of the language that we use needs to change. Stu Weber uses an amazing word. He calls um, alternative masculinity the tender warrior. Even that language just opens us up to something new. How much of our language even needs to change? You know, I've, I have learned so much in just engaging with those 12 guys that I spoke about. 
I've seen my own biases. I've seen my own grappling and issues and even to a certain extent my own bitterness when it comes to this area. But engaging them has opened up so much. May we be a people who are willing to engage and grapple and sometimes miss each other but erase each other to the cross in order for us to set up this kingdom system it is us, we as the church are the ones with the authority and the love to bring into this world the kingdom that God has promised for us. Jesus ends the parable of the Good Samaritan by saying, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. As we pray, there's some of us that need to opt in. Um, we need to opt into what it is that he is doing. We need to opt in with our mess and our different emotions and even our numbness in this area, but to opt in to say, Jesus, we're here. What do you want to do? And in this moment, I invite you to respond. I invite you to, whether you know what is going to come or not or what that opt-in means, would you trust the one who has called us, the one who wants to redeem this world for himself? Let's pray. Ah, oh, Jesus, we repent. We repent for glossing past, bringing your kingdom and the reality of your kingdom into this world. Jesus, may we accept your grace to go now and do the same. Help us, Lord. Heal us, Jesus. Heal us in our woundedness. Heal us together as men and women. And I thank you, Jesus, that the enemy does not have a final say when it comes to this society in terms of families in this society and generations to come. We bless you. We stand on your truth. We believe in your report, your report, and your report alone. In Jesus' name, amen. And Bali, we want to thank you for such a challenging uh, sermon about telling us to move beyond the hashtag, that we need to become people of action, not just merely onlookers at what's happening in our society. And so we need to become allies. This whole sermon series has been such a challenging time. And I'm so glad that we're in a body, that, uh, in a church, that is willing to have these kind of conversations. If you, for any reason, need prayer or want some kind of assistance, there's a number at the bottom of the screen now that I would encourage you to call. Also, if you're not in a connect group, I encourage you to get part of a connect group. Get connected and be engaged. I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon, one day, in person as we worship in God uh, and worship together uh, going forward. Thank you for joining us today. Amen.